You are listening to the DFJ Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu. Today we have two, two special guests. We've got Mark Pincus and we have Bing Gordon. And Mark is a visionary who is the founder of Zynga. His DNA is one-strand entrepreneur and one-strand competitive gamer. Uh, he's also known for being the founder of Tribe.net, which is one of the first social networking sites in 2003. He is a BS from Wharton and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Being over here, he was served as the chief creative officer in this corner of electronic arts from 1998 to 2008 after heading EA's marketing and product development. He has his MBA from Stanford just down the street and a BA from Yale. And he's currently, for the last year, a partner at Kleiner Perkins Coffee Bar. So today, we're going to have a fireside chat with these two guys all about entrepreneurship, innovation, so online gaming, and a whole bunch of other things. So without further ado, our guests. Thanks. Cool. So can you believe Tina just got off a flight from Hong Kong? So those of you in class, what must she be like when she's actually rested? <laughs> so um, the good news is, if I were doing this by myself, it'd be all PowerPoint. If Mark were doing it by himself, it'd be all stream of consciousness. So my goal is to take some of the sentences out of stream of consciousness, make sure they don't turn into PowerPoint. So Mark, what are we going to do today? <laughs> oh, I don't know. We're just going to see what you guys want to talk about and, uh, and just wing it. So, um, uh, Mark, you just won the, um, uh, the Entrepreneur Trifecta this week. You got a cover story in Business Week. You're in Fortune. You're in Forbes. Um, you just spoke at two conferences this week. You, uh, you're on the cover of USA Today. You're in the New York Times fashion section with the supermodels. <laughs> and, um, and, and probably best of all, you're in TechCrunch. <laughs> so how does it make you feel? Well, all right. I think you guys can relate to this, maybe not, but um, I think mostly, actually this is a terrible thing to tell you because there should be light at the end of the tunnel, right? It's like out of a bad movie, like you're on the cover of USA Today and you're in this magazine and that, and mostly you just feel bad. <laughs> you feel, um, you get a pit in your stomach because um, I said it's, I, I had a company that went public, and and we worked really hard, and you know it was in the middle of the dot com boom in '99, and we were the most boring company on the planet. So it was it was support automation software, and the Wall Street Journal told us that hell would freeze over before they'd even mention us because we were so boring, and we went public the last week of the IPO window in 2000, and. <laughs> We were a rocket ship. The stock went, uh, was out at 14, finished the first day at 38. The company was worth $1.5 billion, and I felt like crap. Um, so also not a But point. you still felt better than your shareholders. <laughs> well, no, because uh, they, they had this fool's gold. So the, the, what, the reason I'm relating today to that day is that I... I had a company that had all this potential, and if the world had valued it at $5 a share or $10 a share, I would have felt great. And I would have felt like, 
hey, we're, we're a promising company and we have this great potential upside. And instead, we're at $39 a share, which we, weren't, we shouldn't have been priced at. And so I just saw, I saw a deflation ahead. And so the, the only thing that makes me feel, I, I, you start feeling like the emperor with no clothes because social gaming is just getting started and Zynga is just getting started. We're only two and a half years old and we haven't even started delivering on the vision of social gaming. And so it's great for us or our products or whatever to get notoriety, but you, the thing that makes you start feeling dizzy like you're on this roller coaster and it's outside of your control is just that you, you, want, you, you want it to be a slow build. You don't want the world to start like patting you on the back like you are a success when you're not yet. So, so that's why I mostly feel nauseous when I see my picture in these, these papers. Especially when you're wearing a straw farmer's hat. Yeah, that was really cringy. <laughs> hey, um, how many people out here have played Farmville? Not enough. Oh, no, that's, that's awesome. Look at all these people still to become DAUs. So, um, um, why, Mark, don't, why don't you tell, so Bing, so one thing we want to talk about today, so I'm going to ask Bing a couple questions. First, I want to ask you guys, how many of you know today that you want to found a company and be an entrepreneur? Oh, that's probably why you're here. It's kind of, and how many of you today know that you want to be a great CEO? Wow, just as many. I don't know if it's the same hands, though. Um, so Bing is one of the world's great CEO coaches. And, and he's on the board of Amazon. And he has coached and given uh, advice to the, the gentleman that I think is the, the greatest uh, CEO of an internet company, or maybe any company in, in America today, Jeff Bezos. He introduced this idea to me of an internet treasure. And, and, and I'd like him to describe it to you because I think it's the most noble view of what we're all trying to do here. So I was, um, thanks Mark. So I was on a, um, on a boat in the middle of a lake, bored with a guy named John Doerr, who's this legendary venture capitalist, a friend of mine. And I had seen Bezos talk, and we ran out of things to talk about. You know, after you have to talk about the beautiful weather, and maybe do you have enough sunblock on? He's blonde. Um, um, I got to Amazon, and I said, you know, it bugs me with Amazon. I think you guys are screwing it up. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, Amazon is an internet treasure. It's, um, it's this company that makes the generation who lived during its success uh, proud of our generation. Tom Brokaw talks about the greatest generation, yeah, yeah, and then wrote a boring book. Um, but the fact that Amazon exists um, is, a, is a milestone in, um, kind of in our lifetimes, and we are always going to be able to prove to other generations that we're better because we're the internet generation, and Amazon changed everything. And he goes, ooh, that's interesting. How are we screwing it up? And I said, you know, all retailers have to... Uh, uh, to pay attention to margin and have to try more stuff and have to take better care of their best customers. Um, and that led to Amazon Prime, but um, and led to me being on the board. But that concept of internet treasure is kind of, John Doerr has a great talent for asking questions. And uh, I'd never thought of internet treasures before. So when I met, uh, actually when I met Mark, um, the next companies that I thought were internet treasures, I thought Facebook was an internet treasure. 
and I have two daughters, 20 and 18, and I watch them change their media habits. Um, and I thought Facebook needed to be curated. I told Bezos when I met him, I thought Amazon needed to be curated, and it wasn't being curated well enough. And um, Mark and I have talked about that. He's, he's done a lot of stuff. He's invested in Napster, and he invested in Facebook, um, and invested in Friendster, unfortunately. But that still might work out. Um, and, you know, you've been to the top of the mountain a few times, you realize that uh, you want to create something that really matters. So uh, I was part of Electronic Arts for 26 years. I, I had hoped that uh, when I passed on in another 70 years, um, that, uh, you know, I and all my friends would still be proud of it. So, the so let, me, let me say, so Bing... Bing introduced this idea to me that he had talked about Adore. I didn't even know that. And he, he talked about this internet treasure, and he talked about this concept that, that it could be the, the thing that our generation is remembered for, that, that there was the people who built the skyscrapers in the early 1900s. And what if, in 100 years, what, what our generation is remembered for, the greatest thing that we gave to the world, were these digital uh, skyscrapers like Facebook and Google and Facebook um, and eBay and Amazon. And, uh, and, and I immediately realized that that's what my career was about. And, and it had, he just put something into words that I had struggled for 15 or 20 years around because I, I couldn't articulate it. And what was so amazing for me is I was like, Oh, it's so obvious. That is, that's what I've been trying to do all this time. Is because like my career, uh, and since I've been on like this talk show circuit the last couple of days, like a lot of these quotes of things I've said have gotten out. But but I said, you know, I've been kicked out of all these big companies I worked at because I was either too entrepreneurial or a smart ass or you know I, I didn't believe in paying dues or you know whatever things. Make you, you not get kicked out. You just out. never found a boss who fully appreciated you. Yeah, but but I I I had pursued the wrong goals. So so one one lesson that I hope to leave you guys with is if you want to go be entrepreneurs is set your real goals early because I didn't do that. And and by the way, I tried to, but I just didn't have perspective. But so I thought my goal when I started my first company was to have a great return for my investors. And, and I did. And then I thought my goal with my second company was a sustainable business, and, and we did. Um, and, and it wasn't until I started Tribe that I realized, started getting on my real life path, which was, which he said years later, was to create an internet treasure. And what I realized that I had not achieved and what I wanted so badly was really immortality. I mean, I think that, that what, what we all want on some level, I mean, especially if you have a big ego or you know, if, if you have a great uh, historical view of yourself or you, know, you want to, uh, or you're full of it, um, you, but you, you hope that you can leave something, have world impact, right? Like we want to do something that changes the world. And I started realizing my only shot at it was through this new media internet career, that that was, was going to be it. I wasn't going to be the world's greatest at anything else. And so it was not until I started Tribe that I started pursuing that. And what a waste. I mean, that I had just wasted so many years of my career. I learned, but I hadn't had the right goals. And 
So I met Bing, and, and he introduced this concept to me. And, and I thought, OK, an internet treasure is some kind of consumer service that we can't remember life without. We can't remember life before Google or life before BlackBerry, right? Um, and, and I thought, oh my god, that's, that's what I want to do. And, and the rest is just a means to an end. It's bullshit. So there's no reason to sell your company. There's no reason to go public. There's, there's no reason for any of this stuff. If, if you have that perspective on what you want to do, then the rest is fool's gold. It's just things that are going to pull you off your path. You know, it's just distractions. So, so Bing gave me that. And, and that's, that was one thing we put up here that we wanted to make sure we talked about. What's another one? Net treasure. The, um, let's see. Well, we... Talk, talk about we, uh, being a CEO. Yeah, the, well, this is, this is both of us have arrived at this. So the, um, I tell people, so I was at Electronic Arts in 1982 from five people to 10,000 eventually. And I tell Mark, boy, a lot of what's going on in Zynga reminds me of Electronic Arts in the 80s, but it's happening three times as fast with smarter people. But the patterns are the same. So... Um, uh, one of the things that, that uh, Mark and I both got onto is basically, Mark, you're at 42 people. You and I both think the leading company is going to be at 500 people in two or three years. That's impossible growth. You've got to get way ahead of it. How do you do it? And, um, and I had the philosophy of golden processes, golden mechanics, and golden people, and more about that. And Mark then says, ooh, you know, it supports software. I had this concept of be a CEO. And he said, well, you tell the story about the be, be the CEO. So, uh, so I was, when I was CEO of support.com, it became supportsoft, and then support.com again. Uh, we, I was 31 or 32, and which, which is young to, to be a CEO of a company with more than 30 people. And, and so, your, so your investors thought. My investors thought it was too young. Um, so we'll get to that. So, so I, I had to make up a lot of rules on the fly. And, and that's actually where you learn some of your best CEO lessons is, is from your need to survive. And the one thing I learned early, I thought, one lesson that I thought was, I want to try, to try to create a company that I would like to work at. So kind of the way you create a consumer product. You, you really kind of create a product that you would like to use. I, I want my company to be a product that I would like to use. So, so I thought, well, from the beginning, I wanted someone to tell me to be a CEO and then get out of my way. And I wanted them to give me so much responsibility that it kept me up at night and scared me. Because that's more fun, more adrenaline. So, what, so I put a big, I like these big white sticky sheets, the 3M things. And so I put that on the wall and I put everyone's name on it. And I said, by the end of the week, everyone needs to write what you're CEO of if you want to stay at the company. So everyone needs to be CEO of something and it should be something real. And if you're not, we got to fix it. And, and what Bing likes is it, it went to the receptionist who was, uh, I think she was 19, and she hadn't finished high school or gone to college. And, and we were growing really fast at the time. And she kept coming to me saying, we need a new phone system. Because we kept, we'd buy the one with three lines, and then the one with five lines, and I was really cheap. And I said, that's fine. They can take turns using the phone, you know. And, so then she finally was like, Mark, you know, we're 100 people with five phone lines. And this is before. And we don't, I still don't have phones at our company, just cell phones. And, 
so it was still cheap. So, so she said, we, we need a phone system. And I said, okay, get one. She said, no, no, you don't understand. It's, it's probably like half a million dollars. And I said, yeah, get one. And she's like, me? And I said, I don't have time. So she went out and she worked day and night on researching it all and everything. And she came back and made a presentation of the board on the phone system. And she did a great job. So uh, she was you know, empowered uh, to be a CEO. And she ended up you know, growing from that to being uh, running the whole office and facilities and stuff like that. So that's fun. I mean, it's just it's fun to see people level up and it's fun to be the CEO of phones. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it, it was it was a big job for her. It wasn't I'm just the receptionist at some nameless company. It was like this guy's crazy. <laughs> you want you want your employees to think you're a little crazy. Like they, if if they don't think you're giving them a scary amount of responsibility, then then you're not doing your job. I go. I've, I've got something similar. I call it a bet your job decision. And I think anybody who's good has to make a bet your job risk at least once a year. And uh, some of them have to work out. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it does turn out that the people who, uh, who I've ushered out of the company for bet your job decisions that didn't go well are the ones who afterwards blame somebody else. Mm, so they say, you know, we've got to do this promotion, we've got to do this promotion, it didn't work. And I said, well, these other people. And I said, that, you, you're out of here. Um, but uh, so if you're any good, you got to make bet your job decisions regularly, which is another way of saying be a CEO. And ho to make bet your job decisions, you've got to have a support structure that can uh, scope it and give you resources. Well, let's let's talk. I want to talk a little more about some of the lessons that I've had about being a CEO. You, know, you went to business school. Most of what you know, what is what you're learning about being a CEO isn't really taught in business school. Well, I like to say that. Most of the lessons that I'm learning now, they were taught in business school, but I wasn't paying attention. So, <laughs> yeah. To be honest, I, I didn't think I... But Let's face it, we learn from the index and not from the table of contents. But, but I, I do want to point this out, that it took me so long to learn some of these lessons. I thought it was just about being a great entrepreneur. That's why I asked you guys. And I, we all write stories for ourselves about ourselves. My story about myself through my whole career working for other people and as an entrepreneur was I'm really damn good at my job and I don't do politics so screw the rest and if there's bodies, you know, leave them. I mean, it was just I'm good at my job and if this boss doesn't get it, forget them. I'm good at my job and if this VC doesn't get it, forget them. And I was writing this kind of underdog story for myself of like, I don't do politics or this. Uh, what I didn't do was write this winning story. And so what, as a result of this, it took me too long to figure out the path I should be on, which was, I said, if I'm a, I'll just be a great entrepreneur. I don't care about this management stuff. I don't care about the CEO stuff. I don't need to be a world-class CEO. That's someone at GE. And so what ended up happening is, I, I would lose control constantly, um, either through inadvertently or through the governance of my company. And it was because, and maybe at the time I should have lost control because I didn't, part of being a CEO is can you, make, can you make something happen when you're not in the room? I think the biggest test of if you're a good CEO is can you map 
and communicate a strategy, a vision, a mission that will make somebody else do as good or better a job on it as you would have if you weren't in the room. And we can all be, figure out how to be a good entrepreneur. We can all figure out how to manage 15 people, maybe as much as 30. In, in the beginning of this company, I tried to personally manage 50 people. I mean, and that's what we were breaking point. You literally, I had a phone call every morning and I'd name every person and say, what are you doing today? That's, it can't go past 50, it's nuts. So you got to, you got to figure out, well, what's, what's the derivative? How do I put uh, golden processes in place so that I can communicate these things? Because a lot of being a CEO is about communicating. First, you have to want to do that, which it took me like 15 or 20 years to even realize I wanted to do. So one thing I want to impart to you guys is if you want to bring Google to the world, if you want to change the world through great consumer products, Learn to be a great CEO. Want to be a great CEO. Write the story for yourself that, that you were all of it, because you can be. You know, write the story for yourself that you went to the places you weren't good at. Don't say, I'm not good at managing people. Someone else can do that. I don't like to do blah, blah, blah. Like, like it all. And, and in case you have a little gap in your skills and the rest of the world doesn't see it yet, your insurance policy is keep control of your company. So this is one of my points that I go head to head with him on sometimes. Um, and you usually win. <laughs> what? You usually win. Well, he, he's brilliant because he makes me think I win. Um, but I want to really. You win, you win. We negotiate for the wrong things with, with the VCs. We negotiate to feed our egos because we all want a high valuation, right? Because you want to tell your friends, I got 10 million pre or whatever. But who gives a shit what the valuation is? All that matters is that you have control of the company. Don't give up control. If you're going to give up control, go home. I mean, I personally, and I have strong opinions, okay? There's plenty of cases you can show me where the company was going to go out of business or whatever and you had to do it, fine. But I would fight till the end for control because if you don't have control of your company, you are an employee. Like, you are, you are ultimately trying to convince some other dude that what you know you should do is... But more specifically, I say some other old white dude. <laughs> that was not my best, yeah. <laughs> I was quoted uh, from saying that if you don't control your company, it'll be controlled by a bunch of old white dudes who you get together with once a month and, and you try to convince them to do what you know you should do, which is why you became an entrepreneur in the first place, because you didn't want to have to be what I call an expert witness. So we're your investors, we're old white dudes, we're going to wreck your company like bad dog food. Yeah. <laughs> Bing, Bing, you should know, breaks into uh, rhymes, sometimes Gaelic rhymes. He keeps it fun. But anyway, uh, so I, I do want to, I wish that I could turn the clock back, you know, and I could be sitting in your seats and... Probably I wouldn't listen to me, but I, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it wouldn't be any good. Yeah, you wouldn't even be here. Uh, that's a brain twi twister. Um, so I, I do want to say the path to being a great CEO, uh, which we're all on. I mean, I'm learning every day, just like you guys, like what it takes to be a CEO. And, and every week I, I have a new lesson, which is great. But 
I, if, if I could turn the clock back, my career didn't start until I became a product manager. So I thought that I could be a very good entrepreneur. None of it mattered until I was a product manager. Could so, you, maybe you should define what a product manager is or your, what you mean by it. So, so I was, uh, like, I think it was by the time I was 27 or 28 that I was washed up. I mean, I had been kicked out of all these companies or asked to work on my career somewhere else or, you know, there's so many ways that they kick you out. <laughs> I could tell you a dozen. Um, you'll, hopefully you won't learn them. Um, but no, some actually, I mean, one literally just said, we sh you should know there won't be a job here for you at the end of the summer. Um, but, so I, I was, the, luckily. job in the first place. I couldn't even finish the interview. No, I did really bad interviewing too, actually. Um, so so I, I did, I was lucky enough that in one of my last jobs, I, I was at a venture capital firm, and they had a weird way of doing their VC-ness, and they, uh, they had me go and work as a product manager at a company we invested in. Lucky for me, because all the learning that has helped me since then, I got in that one job, and, and I'll tell you why. So if you can be a product manager, you get to be a CEO. To be a great product manager, you have to be good at road mapping. You have to be good at, at prioritized feature lists. You need to be good at understanding all of the pieces. You gotta be good at understanding engineering. You have to figure out how to be best friends with engineers. Some of you are engineers. You have to figure out how to talk to business people. You know, but, but you need to talk lots of languages. And you, if you get a good product management job, you are a CEO. You, you are going to bring a product to market. You are going to make all this, the prioritization decisions. And, and I say you have a limited number of bullets that you can fire. So your engineering mandates, those are bullets. And you have only so many that you can fire. And everyone that misses a target is a missed opportunity. So you have to be really good at figuring out at, at calibrating your predictive ability and, and measuring and metricing and, and all those skills. And you have to have a good knack and sense for the customer. And you, if it's a good product that can make money, you need to understand basically a P&L and revenues. Everything you need to know to be a, a CEO, at least of a consumer internet company, you will get in that job. And so I would say go somewhere that you can be a product manager and that you can learn and don't, I wouldn't be in a hurry to start the company. I would figure out what your goals are. What, so I'm sorry if I'm saying don't go be an entrepreneur. But, and you can learn fine as an entrepreneur. But I wouldn't be in such a hurry that you slow down getting there. That my sense is if you want to be an entrepreneur, that's awesome. I, I, think, I think it's the best career path. It's, it's a life you're choosing, not just a career. But be strategic. So it may be that you're going to put yourself on a 10-year path. Decide how high you want to set your goals. If you want to create a world-class, world-changing company, it probably won't be your first idea or your first attempt. That's fine. Take a 10-year approach. Over 10 years, you could go and get the skill set you need. Go to world-class companies. Go to a place like Amazon or Facebook. Go to companies that are rebuilding, you know, Reinventing companies. And, well, the other thing that I would say is go to a place where product managers have to know math. 
Yes. My advice is don't go to a company that does not have an analytics harness. And unless you're a salesperson. How many people here are going to go into sales? So the interesting thing about sales, so I'm a big fan of meritocracy. So if you look at a company, here's the next thing to look at. See if they have VPs that are younger than you. And if they don't, if they don't I'd say don't go there. You know, if you, there aren't clear signs of merit, not ageism. If you go to a place and you can uh, uh, predict how old people are by how high they are in the company, don't go there. In a million years, don't go there. So it turns out that um, um, for the last 50 years, the only meritocracy job in a company was sales because the numbers don't lie. Um, there, there is a new one. It's merit in any company that's deeply analytic. Um, so deeply analytic companies, people tend to uh, progress and get opportunities uh, based on their outcomes, not based on their blowing smoke up older people. So, so at Zynga, um, we, we really strive to be a real meritocracy. And a lot of what you have to do as CEO is convince the employees that, convince them that you're not a normal company. So half the battle is trying to convince them that you have values and that they actually make a difference. And a lot of employees are refugees of a lot of companies. So, and they've heard it and seen it before, and they've been at great companies. They, we have people from Google and Amazon. And so you're in tough company, and their bullshit meter is really high. So at Zynga, we really work hard to be a meritocracy in a way that, that shocks our employees. So we have a, a vice president who's a, on the founding team who's 21 years old today. He was 18 when, when we first hired him. Couldn't go to most of the company parties. He wasn't, he was not able to come to our parties. We had to have parties at non-alcoholic serving <laughs> establishments. We, just, just like Stanford dorms. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, but he was shocked that we, when we said that he was going to be a founding team member and, and, and a, a leader in the company, we met it. We have another employee who's 25 and he leveled up three times in a quarter to the point that he was scared. I think he gets a little scared every day. He runs uh, one of our biggest game divisions. So we try really hard. What we do when we do hire big resume people, because um, to scale your company, you need to hire lots of people at all levels. What we try to do is we, we have them come in one level below what they should be at, because we really value humility. Humility. Um, if somebody is so concerned about their title that they're not willing to come in below that title, they're not the right, they're not going to survive at our company anyway. Because our company is very young. I mean, I think the average age in our company is probably 25 or 26. I, I bring it up by like two years. So Bing brings it up another year. Um, but the bullshit meter is really high. And so, and we have such an empowered workforce and it's such a flat organization that no one gives a shit what your title is or who you are, including me. I mean, I can't, it's frustrating sometimes because sometimes I want to just like mandate it and tell them and I can't because that's the culture that we've created. So we bring in people, we brought in uh, an amazing manager who ran all of EA's LA studios and he's so humble. He said, let me just run one game and let me win the respect of these teams and then let's see what happens. And, and now he's the most senior executive in all of our game divisions. And, but it's, it's because people want to follow him. So I think that's 
That's an important. Hey, I noticed a comment up there that says Mars needs women. So how are you doing at Zynga in hiring women and empowering women? Really badly. So <laughs> we want a lot of women at our company. Um, we didn't pay attention to it. So the other thing that happens to you, and we've grown very fast. So today we're How fast. Really fast. Um, today we are uh, including contractors over 600 people. Um, Forget about the people. How many, how many monthly and daily active users? We measure ourselves by DAUs and MAUs. So, and I believe in this Web3 world, which I'm not going to talk about today. Uh, that unless it, somebody asks. Unless there's a question. Uh, that, that the currency of this economy that we live in, this app economy, is DAUs. It's daily active users. So we, we today, as of yesterday, we had 52 million uh, DAUs. And that represented about uh, 38 million unique visitors a day. To, so, so we've grown our audience. We've grown our uh, employee base. And, and, and we have not paid attention enough to the culture. And we have, we're now working on it a lot more. But so uh, we, have, we still have 180 open positions. So, and we hope to hire uh, 200 college grads in the next six months. And, um, uh, but, but we, we do, so John Doerr, uh, it, it's been great. John Doerr came and gave a, a talk to our executive team. And, and, and you should go hear him talk. It's, he's a lot more compelling than, than us. Um, but he, he had the one, this one slide that really uh, stuck in, that really seared into all of our consciousness. And he said, you can be a mercenary company or a missionary company. And he showed the lists of both. And, and one thing on there was the diversity of your employee base. And he looked around the room, and at our executive level, uh, out of 25, there was one woman. So, and he said, he said, this room better look a lot more female if you want to be a missionary company. So, and um, Colleen, who's our head of it, well, what I discovered in the world of video games, I was involved with The Sims, for example, and I'm a father of two daughters. What I discovered is, in my era, women executives didn't want to risk their careers on helping other women or making games for girls. So it was always the fathers of daughters who took the risk. Will Wright, who created SimCity and the Sims and Spore, father of a daughter. So I think that starts to change in the generation of women under about 30. I've noticed kind of a generation gap. Um, it, it, it's an organizational issue, especially when, uh, when you're making games where um, half of the users are female. So you either got to get women in the company or fathers or daughters. All right, I'm going to jump tracks. Talk about, I told him we should jump tracks if we want to move us faster. Yeah, whenever we start boring each other, we interrupt. So talk about the value of, of coaches and getting, how, what can coaches, what should these guys do? What can coaches do for them? Oh, so um, um, I have taught uh, university classes mostly in video game development. And, um, uh, and then I also looked at, um, at Electronic Arts. Uh, I started a university recruiting program and uh, went out and did stuff at universities. And I tried to see, I'm, I'm a believer again, that you have to have uh, uh, signature people who have fast-tracked. And in all other entertainment businesses, there are 30-year-old prodigies running things. And uh, there were none in the video game business, certainly not electronic arts. Uh, furthermore, I think that 35-year-olds are the enemy of innovation. 
They're just, you know, they got, the, they got, they're just starting to have kids. They got house payments. They've already gotten a modicum of success, and they don't want to blow it. So the the middle managers, kind of the director level in companies or the VP level in companies, um, they won't take the risks that the top execs want. And they won't take the risks that uh, uh, the young stars want. So uh, beware of 35-year-olds. Um, <laughs> you're past that, thank goodness. Yeah. But um, so I went in and I tried to do a study and look at people who is fast tracking in this company. And I have a talk about looking back at what I did in my 20s, what I did well and what I did wrong. But the, the biggest mistake I made as a 20-something is not recruiting a mentor. So my advice to all of you, so basically all of you who go to um, the Stanford of you know, Finland and uh, those of you who couldn't get into Finland, you know, Finland State University and instead had to go to um, Palo Alto Community College, um, you guys are all prodigies. You're number one draft picks in uh, the NFL of life. Um, <laughs> but um, but uh, the weakness that most of you have is you don't know how to work in groups. Because you think about it, even if you work on team stuff in school, it's two or three people. It's as many people as you can fit into a dorm room or uh, sitting over in, uh, um, in the dining hall. So you guys are likely to be incompetent in organizations. And uh, everyone I've met who's fast-tracked, no matter how fast, by the way, at age 30, they've wasted a whole year. So if those of you are chess players, I'm not a very good one. But in chess, what I've seen is every move has to, has to contain offense and defense. And if you waste moves, you're going to lose. Um, the fast-trackers I've all seen have all wasted one of their years in their 20s. And it's because you have no context. And not only that, if you get in an organization, your first-line manager, who's going to be a bad manager because they've never done it before, is going to try to get you focused and, um, and not give you a big context. So it's likely that in a big organization, you're going to be a competent organization, you're not going to have much of a context, even Stanford students. So find some, and here's what a mentor is. It's somebody who's older than you, um, is probably one generation ahead of you, does not have any control over you, so is not a parent, is not a boss, is not a boss's boss. Um, so it's at least sideways, and uh, has no, um, no, no rewards for helping you other than joy, um, and gives good advice. Um, and your job in recruiting a mentor is to make sure they feel honored and you tell them when they do something useful and tell them when they do something bad. So there, there is a contract here, but you have, to ha you have to have one unless you want to make bad chess moves. So I'm, I'm going to jump tracks again. So Full answer? Yes. Overfull, overfull. Okay. I, I, there's one last point that I wanted to make, and then, uh, and then we're going to take we'll talk questions. About, then we'll talk about the founding of Zynga. No, we're not going to have time to do that. Okay. Um, uh, so, so talk about the implosion of Zynga then. <laughs> we definitely don't want to talk about that. Um, so the other thing that I want to talk to you about, and, and I think in the vantage point of, of where we are uh, with uh, with Zynga, where it's on a roll lately, it's on my mind a lot, is don't, this, this is something I say to myself in my, in my own dialogue in my head that I want to share with you. Don't give yourself permission to fail. We all give ourselves permission to fail. It's, it's, there's all kinds of reasons why we fail. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can point to that are other than the fact that you just failed. Like, own your failure and own your success, um, and, and you're more likely to, to, to see more success. And 
And don't. What do you, and what do you mean by own your failure? Well, I, the the thing that I my inner dialogue is trying to notice when I'm in a fear of failure place. And 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 I said to Bing on the way down here that I always think of the uh, analogy of when you're in the the bar, the crowded bar, and you want to get on the pool table, and you wait all night, and you finally get on the pool table, and you're nervous, and the other guy scratches on the eight, and so you've got the table now, and you get on a roll, right? And, and you, uh, you start beating a few people, and you start feeling your oats, and now all of a sudden you're like looking for the double bank back corner. You're not like, ooh, just go for all the easy shots. And that's the zone we all want to be in, is the double bank back corner. When, and you, and you, you go for that hard shot, it makes it, you're in shock, but you don't even tell anybody. You're just like, uh-huh, next ball. <laughs> that's where you want to be. You want to be in that zone. And, and my tennis coach that I, I played, tried to play tennis uh, competitively, I was really bad before this company made me give up all <laughs> sports. But, but my tennis coach would say, don't, don't try to hit the ball in, try to, try to win. Try, play to win, don't play to hit the ball in the court. You know, that when you're serving, you can try to serve right so that you, have a, you get a serve, or you could try to win this point and just hit the ball in, and you'll probably lose against a good player. So it's on my mind a lot that you should go for it. So um, I've, I've taken some inspiration. I, you can do this or not, but I went to Tony Robbins. Um, is uh, Unleashing the Power Within, and it's really, it feels really cheesy. Um, and you have to leave your ego at the door, but but it's but it's great. And the one thing You're that like four hundred, I, I was four thousand out of work realtors and me, and 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 I was out of work too. So kind of like a Stanford summer program. Yeah, but but the, his message that's so powerful is, go for it. You know, be be world class, and don't sell yourself short. And the thing that I have to remind myself of, because what we do is. Even when you become an entrepreneur, you're going to have this tendency to want to build your resume. I got the company here. That's better than anybody expected, and my family and friends, and everyone's going to be impressed if I could sell the company here to Google. Who wouldn't sell their company to Google or Facebook? I mean, that's, that's a win. You're, you, the, the world will, will you know, you applaud on, you. You can be on Hollywood Squares the rest of your life. Yeah, you could be on, we said Internet Squares. You know, they'll have all the washed up Internet people. Um, <laughs> um, but, but I do want to say, go for it. So don't, don't you know, we, we spend more time worrying and planning for the downside than we do worrying and planning for the upside. So that's, that's my own inner dialogue is, you know, it's, it's just as scary to win big as to lose big because you get this fear of failure. And we all get it. And, and I fight it every day. I'm like, how do you wake up every day and put yourself in a place where you're still going to take massive risks and go for it and not try to lock in your position on the pool table? You know, go for the double bank back you know, corner shot. So. MSNE 278, which is a class that wraps around the uh, ETL electric. Raise your hand if you're in 278. Um, and uh, for doing that, our students get the first two questions. So I'm going to start with Bing and then uh, Mark, and then we'll open it up to the audience. So Bing, the question for you is, I think 26 years is, 
maybe a record for a cheap creative officer in any entertainment business. And uh, given your tenure in that business, can you give us, in the short time we have, a succinct difference about what you found in managing kids-based businesses rather than technology businesses? I mean, one is a product business, and the other is something more intangible that you spectacularly succeeded at. Which well, yeah, so, kind of not in any particular order. The first thing is, electronic arts success, a lot of it is that we believed in Moore's Law early. And I think the reason we had uh, predictable profits was because of Moore's Law, that we played technology transition better than anybody else, and not that we necessarily had a higher percent of hits than anybody else. Uh, the second thing we did is we bet on franchises really early on. And uh, for instance, uh, John Madden Football, um, after doing it the first year, um, uh, the retailers, Toys R Us and the Walmarts and the Best Buys alike said, well, don't make another one. Electronic Arts owned Salesforce said, don't make another one. And one other guy named Rich Hillman and I, we sat around and said, well, we'd play it. And so we made it. And because we believe that you know the hardest thing is to get the customer the first time. Why not keep them forever? And uh, and some people for the last decade said, "Oh, yeah, he's not creative. They do these franchise sequels." I go, "You don't understand. Um, everybody on the planet except for two people thought it was the stupidest idea yeah. ever." Um, so the, the the franchise thing. Actually, the same thing happened with the Sims with expansion packs. Um, even Will Wright said that's a stupid idea. Nobody wants an expansion pack because up until then, any game that had an expansion pack would sell one, and it would be thirty percent of uh, of the original product sales. We said no, we're gonna we're gonna have a ten year relationship with customers. So that was kind of the second big idea with hits. I think the third the third big idea is. Um, um, to um, innovate on features, not on titles. The, uh, and, and one of the reasons I like innovating on features, not on titles. Golden Mechanics. And Golden Mechanics is uh, that's what, what we call features. But these are kind of micro pieces of, uh, of games. And what I like about them is that the 20-somethings uh, uh, can innovate them uh, as well as 40-somethings, and maybe even a little better, so it unlocks the power of uh, the organization. So uh, customers for life, franchises, uh, features, and uh, Moore's Law. Thank you. And, and Mark, for you, uh, given you've had a... a Checkered past. <laughs> an interesting career as an entrepreneur. Uh, given where you are now, imagine talk to Mark back at Tribe, mm -hmm. what's the one thing you'd smack him on the side <laughs> of the head and um, say, pay attention? So the, that's an awesome question uh, that I actually have thought about. The, the biggest lesson that I've gotten is, is about testing. It's about set high goals and then test and, and build, assume that you're going to get it wrong and, and it, build this leveraged approach. What I know now that I didn't get then was Tribe. If, if I could do it all over, I would, would have made Tribe initially a platform to test many ideas of social networking. So we tried just one. Oh my God, like what the hell was I thinking? I mean, just one? I mean, we test at our company, we have several hundred tests going on every day and in every game. And, and, and what I would have done is, 
made Tribe a platform to test every configuration, because that's what's so beautiful about the consumer internet, is that it is about repeatable formulas. And once you find a formula that works, it seems to stay that way forever. Or it doesn't seem to break for a long, long time. So I, I, the biggest one would have been testing. And then the CEO part wouldn't have mattered because Tribe was not going to be a big company if I didn't get the first part right. Got it. Thank you. The Mark is saying is believe in Darwin, don't believe in intelligent design. Well, I'm, I'm a pilot, and they, the rule of thumb is that if you are a visual flight pilot and you fly in the clouds, your life expectancy is 180 seconds <laughs> because you need to learn how to fly by instruments. And that's what metrics and data are about on the modern internet. If you're going to bring a consumer product to market, you might as well not change it at all if you're not going to measure the impact of that change. It's just a waste. Very, very insightful. So let's open it up to the audience, and I'll uh, pick some questions. If you guys, if you could, when you answer a question, say who it's for or either, and then you guys could repeat it. Um, Hi, Chris Lovaska from Finland, Alto Entrepreneurship Society. I wonder how you keep the motivation and the fear of failure away every every morning you wake up? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> bing, bing. Well, first, it's great to have a, a kind of partner, friend, and coach who can, uh, when you're having a really bad day or week or month, uh, who can point, kind of cheer you up. But um, I think I, I think that that you have to keep your eyes on the prize. You know, that even if things, I always, and you have to have an inner dialogue. So I say to myself, it's never as good as you think and it's never as bad as you think. You know, so, so I have, you have to kind of just internally coach yourself um, and just realize that things are going to break and fail and, and you don't get, the other thing I tell myself is don't get attached to the bad news and, and don't, don't read the press. Don't read the blogs. Don't, definitely don't read the comments on the blogs because they're really mean and hurtful. <laughs> and you can see some on me. I mean, people are like, I'm happy his dog died. I'm like, oh, it's so mean. Um, and, but also, don't, don't read and listen to the good press either because you know you're going to get both. But my, my answer on Mark's behalf is some of it is just metabolism. You know, he has a spectacular physical energy and uh, people who've known him for 10 years are surprised that he comes up fighting every day. For most humans I've ever seen, I, I, Mark's about the only person I've ever seen who uh, who's 99% on. Uh, for most people I've seen who've created billion dollar companies, the secret is to do it in twos. So while you're fallow for a few days, you have a partner who says, okay, you go to sleep, I'm gonna drive this bus for a couple days. But, but the other piece of it, and Bing pushed this on me a year ago. So a, a year ago, I went to a board meeting. It was around this time. And, and I use my board like they're my support group sometimes. I mean, and, and in this board meeting a year ago, it was like a bad therapy session. I just went in, and I was just like, I'm coming apart at the seams. This is nuts. Maybe we should sell a company. And, and Bing said, you've got to go out and recruit amazing people. And, and you, it doesn't matter if your growth slows, but 
if you don't go and get the scalable people and put scalable process in, whatever you feel now is going to feel even worse, and, and you're just going to be torn apart at the seams. And, and that was probably the best advice I've had in the last year. Let's take another one uh, over there. You're, yeah. you're about to give your web 3.0 spiel. I would love to hear that one. <laughs> and uh, if you have other thoughts on web 3.0. Well, if I can condense it to... Uh, Read Business Week. <laughs> Oh, it's on the cover of Business Week, the app economy. Um, I, my, my spiel is just really fast. Is I, I believe that we're at, sometimes that's when I'm boring, that that's, he gets me to stop. I, I think that we're at the beginning of the third business plan of the internet. And I think it's going to be driven by users paying for things, which it ought to be. It's kind of nuts that the internet is being financed by like a Caribbean cruise line ad. I mean, to me, like, huh? That's it? No. Um, so the internet should be the most profitable business model on the face of the earth. And, and it can be. And, and I worked in cable TV where we had home shopping network in QVC, which was just an always on sell people shit. And why isn't the internet uh, always on sell people shit? And hopefully not just shit. But, but the third business plan of the internet, I believe, is going to be users buying stuff that is often digital only and virtual and high margin. It's going to be services that are found as apps on anywhere. I, I call them breadcrumbs. You'll stumble over these apps as you stumble across the internet or your mobile phone experience. And some of those you'll turn into your new always-on web service relationship. And I believe, I believe that every major franchise on the internet is up for grabs the same way it was in the beginning of Web 2.0. Travel, e-commerce, even search. I think, I think we're just getting started. And I would, I would add to that the APIable internet. So, uh, so we're going from web pages to uh, widgets and apps as the molecule of the internet. Great. Right here. Yeah, you talked about at the beginning this vision that you had of social games. Two years ago, you didn't sell it, you should have closed. So, could you just talk about it being a little bit with EA? What, what do you do to develop those skills? Of being able to have that kind of vision. I mean, what you know, you seem to have it. What, what do what do I need to do to kind of get those skills to be able to see things you know coming? Um, I think you need to you need to have a, a certain kind of experience in your mind. You, so you need to think about what could this be like, and you need kind of a lot of frustration that it's not the way it could be. You know, like. Why the hell doesn't, when I get a phone call, why isn't it already talking to my Facebook who's he who and telling me who this person is and how you know them? Or, like, you have to have that frustration around this stuff's, why hasn't Microsoft given me a new version of email that's better in 10 years? Like, you have to have that like, angst and frustration, right? I, that's what drives me. And so where I get frustrated, that how far we still are from the vision of social gaming, it's because I think that, that, that a game like Farmville could be a way for you to change your relationship with somebody. I think it could be that much. And that's so powerful. I mean, that is, on Facebook, you can change your relationship. It can have this social ROI that I think you could buy a friend or someone you're trying to do business with or a girl you want to date uh, a virtual good. You, you, could, you could do something good for them on their farm. You could, 
You could get them a pink tractor. Nothing says I love you like a $5 virtual dog. Yeah. Yeah. That's his line. But, but the fact that it just it frustrates me that we're still, that our games are still so far from that, that vision. That you, the, the opportunities for you to socialize and, and build that friend relationship greater through our games is still so primitive. I got, I got some other answers. So for MBAs, there's Theodore Levitt's Marketing Imagination. Um, there's a guy at Stanford named Johansson who wrote a book called The Medici Effect who posits that creativity um, is dramatically uh, multiply, amplified uh, by bringing together two, um, two specializations. So live at the intersection of two specializations. I think the third is uh, uh, the idea of design thinking. It's taught here. Um, you know, read the art of innovation, and that's customer-centric and uh, question the customers with prototypes rather than with questions. And, and, and I'll add, we have, uh, we have six core Zynga values, and one of them is that you ought to build games that you and your friends and family will play. And again, that's like, how do you get people to work on the right thing when you're not in the room? Well, if they're, I like to say to people, if you're at any part of our company, if, if the game doesn't make sense to you, if, if you don't get why you would play it, there's something wrong with the game, not you. Let's take two more in the back. Yeah, if uh, Google or uh, Facebook wants to buy you, would you, would you want to sell Zynga or do you want to go for it and make it bigger than them? I don't care if it's bigger than them because that would be, uh, I don't need that, that's unimaginable. Um, but I would say that that's, that's not the path that we're on. That we, we want to build an internet treasure. We want to build a forever service. We want to, we want the, it's crazy to me that there is no brand that represents fun on the internet. It's just nuts. So that's what I want to do. Um, I can't see how being a part of Google uh, or Facebook would accelerate that. Um, and if, if I would have to see how it accelerated that happening. And I don't really see how YouTube is more YouTube because they're owned by Google today. So uh, I can't see that. And I, I, well, what do you think about people who sell their companies? Well, everyone has their reasons and motivations. And people have different goals. And I've, I sold a company or two. Um, I, it depends on where you're trying to get to. I, I think that oftentimes you're trying to lock in success at a certain place. And that's fine. And we, we shouldn't judge you know, why other people make a decision. But as long as you see a good path independently ahead of your company, it's unusual that selling it to another company is going to accelerate that. You might sell because you don't see a successful path as an independent company. Maybe you're the number five player in a market that's consolidating, or you, you've, there, there's something that you have to have that the other company has. Otherwise, I just would ask why you don't want to go for it anymore. Take one last question. Hi, uh, my name is Yashin from GSC. Um, I'm interested in understanding uh, what you found to be the most attractive way to do market research before you define uh, and then because there's a part of food, there's a part of food, you Sure, that's a great question. The, que the question so is, how do, you, how, do, 
Or do you repeat it? No, you repeat it. <laughs> I hate to do all the talking. Uh, so uh, Beatrice's question, she's from GSB. Uh, welcome, Beatrice. Uh, she got a market research class assignment. <laughs> yeah, we're, gonna, we're all going to help her with her class assignment. Uh, it's crowdsourcing. Uh, so her question was, how do we do uh, market research around new features we want to bring to market, right? Um, we do something at Zynga that I call ghetto testing. So I like to take someone who has a gigantic, so usually it's a game designer, and they have some gigantic idea that this would just be great, and there I always said build what you want to play, and here's their fantasy. Maybe they really want a hospital simulation game. Our, our HR group, our people group is in the back. So they emailed me today. We think it'd be really fun to play a hospital simulation game. Great. What do we do with that? So we want to ghetto test it. So I, again, we have so many bullets we can fire, and we got to just treasure and honor our engineers. Because if we do our job right, they don't get burned out. They have a great life, and we have successful products. That's what we want. They don't want to write code that gets laid on the cutting room floor. Yeah. So we, what we do is we ghetto test it. So I say to the marketing person or the product manager, if that's what you're doing, uh, describe it in five words. It's built. Great. It's six months from now. We built every dream you had. How are you going to market it? Give me the five words, which is something Bing told me. And we'll put that up. We'll put up a link for five minutes saying, hey, you ever fantasize about running your own hospital? And we'll, <laughs> maybe you have. <laughs> In this economy, it's, it's the only growth area. So, so, so we'll put that up for five minutes. And the link will maybe take you to a survey. You know, give us your email, and when this comes out, we'll contact you. It, if you're really doing ghetto, it says 404 not found. That's bad. Um, but so first, you try to get the heat around it. You say, how much will people like it? Then, how many, pa how many page views will happen in five minutes? Oh, I, I don't know. We we have something like I think we have five, over 500 million hours a month of gameplay. I think. I think we have more hours watched than CBS. So I don't know what happens in five minutes. So, so we ghetto test it. Then once we get to the point of actually building a game or building a new feature, which we, we love Bing's idea of golden mechanics. Like, take that away. Steal that from us. The, the idea of, of not a game, but a feature that you can deconstruct and see that this, this interactive feature, a, a way to do a gift, uh, will drive virality or retention or revenues. Um, so we put it in a feature that we can build in a week. It's a ghetto build. We, we A-B test it. We flow test it. We put it out to 1%, 10% of our users. We built a, a testing, a data warehouse with a testing platform. So we're running several hundred tests at any given time for every one of our games. And no single user ever is involved in more than one test. So we, do, we love testing. When we see that it moves our metrics in a, in a considerable way, that's when we take it to be a full feature rollout, and then we do the full 2.0. So one example, uh, we just turned on flowers in Farmville. So now you can build, you know, plant and grow beautiful flowers. There's so many places you could take flowers. You know, with the holiday season coming up, what if we let you level up your flowers and 
create your own custom bouquets. Tulips, daffodils, lavender. Yeah, and send them people. Red roses. But we don't want to go down those paths until we've tested them with our users. And what's amazing, and this is a feature that you will all have available to you as you enter this third internet business, is that you're going to run a service and you are going to every week be able to test things with your users. And something that I never had available to me with previous companies, it won't be build it for three, three months and hope and pray. You know, it's test it now. And you can test it with Google. You don't need to be a big company. You can test it by buying Google AdWords or Facebook self-service ads. Um, you can put these links out. You could spend 50 bucks a day and know most of what we know. So it's awesome. an awesome I'll world. Use Amazon Mechanical Turk. Can we take one more? We... Yep, that's it. Oh, that's it. You have been listening to the Draper Fisher Jurvetson Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series, brought to you weekly by the Stanford Technology Ventures Program. You can find additional podcasts and videos of these lectures online at ecorner.stanford.edu.